gather back together. We gather together to something. Ask the Lord's blessing. There you go. I know there's a hastening and chastening in that song. We did that at uh, Sherland early in the summer. Yeah, we're, we're breaking out the, the classics. We did six weeks of all, uh, we did every Christmas song in the hymnal <coughs> this, this Christmas season, Advent season. So uh, let's collect our offering uh, for the work of the church. I got Penny is offering here. She had to flee. And well, we do a couple things. Of course, I uh, want to invite you to taste of new life following worship. If you didn't bring anything to eat, don't worry. Stay anyway. Fellowship, eat. That's a great time to uh, get to know each other a little bit better. It's a great time to uh, discuss possible ministries or plan or do some other things in the life of our church. So a wonderful time to share together. Uh, thank you for all of those people who brought stuff for the Paper Angel Closet, who helped organize it um, in, in the last couple weeks, who uh, put things together last Saturday night, who were here on a very cold Thursday and a snowy Thursday. Uh, of course, obviously with the cold and the weather, we did have a couple uh, cancellations, but uh, we did serve some people and we're going to try to get, um, given the weather, we're going to try to get the other kits to the people, um, give them another opportunity to come out here. So, um, so thank you. That's going to be every month, so we'll do that next month too. Uh, so the stuff on the back of the sheet, just keep bringing stuff. Um, we'll try to come up with a little more uh, distinctive list of what we're short on uh, here as we do some inventory in the next couple of weeks. So um, it's going well. Uh, we'll continue to do it and hopefully grow that ministry. So if you're interested in it or want to know anything else, you can just talk to one of us or talk to me and uh, get you engaged in that. Uh, the big game party can't technically say the other the other word because that's copyrighted. Um, but that game that's going to be televised between the two football teams that are going to play each other for a specific trophy. <clears throat> that's the the game that will be on when we just happen to meet here on the first of February to fellowship and eat. Um, what? If you have a really great bowl, you might call it super, then you could bring that bowl to the party. Um, if you had a bowl of soup, you could bring that. Soup is certainly welcome. At, yes, and if you have a large, uh, large bowl full of money, you can bring that too. I, it's never, never, uh, never too late for a bowl of money. Um, find something to do with it, uh, whether it's on that night or some other night. But uh, that will be the uh, first and uh, always a lot of fun. Um, you know, sometimes we leave after the commercials <laughs> at halftime uh, or after the halftime show. But um, we, we always have a good time and uh, just bring something to munch on, some kind of um, snacks that are appropriate to that kind of venue. Uh, so uh, uh, enjoy that time. Let's have a word of prayer uh, as we transition to our forming time. God who watches over us, offering us light and hope, we ask that you be with us this day. 
Help us to remember your healing, cleansing, claiming love for each one of us here tonight. Remind us again of the many ways in which you reach out to us. May your word and this time of worship be a time of hope. Bring us closer to you, loving God. Embrace us again with your love. We open our hearts to you. Amen. Well, welcome to New Life. I'm Mark, and uh, we're going to be talking about our Finding Fish series. I want to welcome all of those who are gathering us, uh, joining us online or via podcast. Uh, you can catch any of this as a four-part series, any of this series or any of the sermons in the life of New Life um, at www.findnewlifeumc.org, or you can go to iTunes and search New Life UMC and subscribe to our podcast. Tonight we're talking about being grounded. I had a uh, evangelist come over to my house this is years ago, uh, back when I was single, and uh, they stopped by. And because I'm a gracious person, I invited them in. I got them something to drink, and we sat down to talk, as evangelists are like to do. And he wanted to know um, if I was saved. I said, well, that's a good question. I said, what's, what's being saved? And he said, that's, um, you know, if you're going to go to heaven. I said, well, that sounds nice. What happens if I'm not saved? And he said, if you're not saved, you go to hell and suffer forever. I said, that doesn't sound good. <clears throat> I would like to avoid that. How... Do I go about getting saved? He said, well, great. You just have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have to pray this sinner's prayer, and then you can be saved. And I said, great. That sounds really easy. I like that. I said, then what happens? And he said, then you're saved. I said, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What do I do when I'm saved? And he thought for a moment, and he answered, he said, well, then you go out and you make sure other people are saved. And I said, well, if I don't do that, do I get unsaved? And he thought for a moment and he said, no, I, I guess not. And I said, well, if being saved doesn't change who I am or what I do, it doesn't sound like a very good thing. And he left and I never saw him again. <clears throat> I usually have only one-time encounters. Brother Steve is a little bit better with his uh, evangelists that come to his house. <clears throat> Maybe he's a little nicer than I was in my youth. Saving souls is a wonderful, wonderful work when we talk about evangelism, when we talk about what we talk about here at New Life, which is finding, partnering with Christ to seek and save the lost, as Scripture says. But here's the news about saving souls. Jesus Christ did it 2,000 years ago. And he was a lot better at it than you or me. So we have to figure out what is our work. Our work is partnering with Christ. And sometimes we forget and we get focused on one aspect of our religion. We get our, our heads kind of in the clouds. And we forget that we have to have our feet on the ground and be doing the work that Christ called us to do. Finding isn't just about making sure we get to heaven. That's something that we can be part of. That's something that we want to be part of. We want to make sure everybody knows. 
Finding is about offering people something today as well. So before we go out to fish, we have to make sure we are grounded. Now last week we talked about Jesus exciting his disciples. He excited them. What he offered was exciting. The life he offered them was exciting. The things that he did were exciting. But not only did he excite them, he grounded them. He didn't work them up into such a fervor that they were no good to anybody. That they had no practical kind of work to get their hands on. He kept things real. He showed them heaven, but brought them back down to earth. We see this throughout the Gospels, but I think the following passage really reveals just how Jesus grounded his followers. And it comes from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you have your Bible or Bible apps with you, John 20, 23 through 28. Jesus replied, The time has come for the human one to be glorified. And I assure you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their lives will lose them. Those who hate their lives in this world will keep them forever. Whoever serves me must follow. Wherever I am, there my servant will also be. My Father will honor whoever serves me. Now I am deeply troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this time? No. For this reason, I have come to this time. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. The first thing Jesus says to his disciples is, that for a seed to bear fruit, it has to die. Now, he certainly was talking or prophesying about his death and resurrection, but he was also using everyday language to explain how we, as disciples, must die and be made new. For a seed to become a tree or a plant and therefore bear fruit, it must go into the ground, deteriorate, and really die. So too for us, as Christians, if we want to experience new life, we have to die to ourselves. We have to let go of me and hold on to God. Our faith isn't just about someday, right? It's about today. Our salvation isn't just about life after death. It's about life in Christ today. Secondly, Jesus says, if you love your life, you will lose it. But if you hate your life, you will live forever. Now, this is similar to the first statement, but I think it's a little bit more practical. If you get your meaning from this world, you're likely to be disappointed. If you get your meaning from the love or happiness or hope that you try to find in this world, you will probably be let down. If you try to hold on to possessions or people or things in this world, eventually you will have to give them up. We always say, you cannot take it with you. But if you focus on the kingdom of heaven and you don't concern yourself with the things of the world, you don't have anything to lose. If your hope is in God's world, that hope will last forever. Jesus' third statement is perhaps the greatest paradox of these three statements. If you wish to follow, you must serve, and those who serve will be honored. Now, this is paradoxical because servants certainly didn't get to follow great teachers. 
in Jesus' time. Servants were treated just slightly better than slaves and sometimes worse than slaves in this current, or in Jesus' day and age. Not in our day and age, but in Jesus' day and age. Jesus reminds us that to follow him is to serve. And only in service will we be honored by God. Making our own way, leading our own lives, calling the shots will get us not very far in God's eyes. But if we are serving one another, we are doing the work of the kingdom. Now, Jesus didn't tell his disciples just to go do these things. He set the example. He physically died so that he could be resurrected. He experienced new life when he gave up his life. Jesus didn't place his hope in worldly things, or yeah, in worldly things, he placed his hope in kingdom things. Jesus had a kingdom focus and brought the kingdom with him wherever he stood, wherever he went. And ultimately, Jesus served. Jesus served the poor and the hungry and the sick and those in need. Jesus served by feeding and healing, raising Lazarus from the dead. He washed his disciples' feet in a wonderful act of service. And ultimately, he served all of us by dying on the cross, defeating sin and death and living again so that we could all be sons and daughters of that kingdom. Now Jesus grounded his disciples, and we need to be grounded in our ministry, especially when it comes to finding, going out, making new friends, meeting new people, sharing the gospel, however he wanted to say it, fishing, evangelism. We need to be grounded. Here's a passage I think uh, shares one of those truths. Luke 14, the very beginning. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal with the home, or in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. Now a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of the body was there. Jesus asked the lawyers and the Pharisees, does the law allow healing on the Sabbath or not? But they said nothing. Jesus took hold of the sick man, cured him, let him go and said, Suppose your child or ox fell into a ditch on the Sabbath. Wouldn't you immediately pull it out? But they had no response. The Pharisees, the legal experts, the people in Jesus' time who were some of the most religious people who really knew the Bible, the first half at least in that time, really knew the Scriptures and knew the teachings, they were always trying to trip Jesus up. They were trying to kind of get him to say something that wasn't true or that proved he really wasn't a great teacher. He wasn't really knowledgeable of the law. And so here we see a a little game that's being played about the Sabbath. And Jesus reminds or asks them if it's okay to heal because on the Sabbath you weren't supposed to do any work. Uh, and, And it's become so much so that if you're really an Orthodox Jew, even today, on the Sabbath, which is not on Sunday... Don't know why we decided that at some point. Sabbath Friday night to Saturday night. So the Sabbath is technically over right now, right? Would have ended at dusk. So sometimes people worship on Saturday night if they're Jewish. But so much so that in that 24-hour time period, you cannot do any work, that you leave your lights on in your house because you can't turn on and off the lights, that you can't lift more than five pounds, that you can't cook your meals, so you make sure your meals are cooked ahead of time. No work. The idea is that you stop working so you can see God working. It's a wonderful thing that maybe more of us should take hold of. 
It's one of the Ten Commandments after all, right? Observe the Sabbath. doesn't mean coming to church on Sunday morning or Saturday night. It means stop for a second so you can see God. That has nothing to do with this sermon. I just really like the Sabbath. But Jesus says, is it okay to heal this man? And the Pharisees may have been quick. They didn't say anything. May have been quick to say, no, you can't do any work. And Jesus makes it practical. He uses everyday language. He says, okay, think about it like this. If your son fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you go help him? Well, it depends on how I was feeling that day. Of course, I would help Alex if he fell. Maybe not Anthony, but no, of course. He's not walking yet. He's not going to fall in a ditch. If he's in a ditch, there's bigger problems than me helping him out, people. Jesus could have come back at them, or or kind of throughout the gospel, he could have come at them with scriptures and quotations. He could have even used his godly power to kind of smite them or, or make them low. But he used everyday language that they understood and the people understood to say, listen, you're being ridiculous by saying you can't do anything. There are times when you need to do something, even on the Sabbath. He used real, tangible examples. Now, when we are out finding, when we are out in the world talking to other people about our faith, about our church, about Jesus Christ, don't use church words. Eschatology is a great word, right, Brad? But don't use it when you're talking to someone who doesn't come to church. We introduce people to things like that over some time. Don't talk to people about these grand kind of theological ideas you may have if you're introducing them to Jesus Christ. Tell them what Christ is doing for you today. Use tangible examples. Use everyday language. Things that they will understand. If they like sports, use sports. If they like mowing, use mowing. Find out what they like and how they interact with the world and other people and use that to show them what Christ can do in their life. next passage comes from John 13. Just a couple verses, uh, verse 3 through 5. Jesus knew the Father had given him everything, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robes. Picking up a linen towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he was wearing. Jesus told his disciples to serve and set the example. Everything he did, everything he said, turned the idea of master and follower upside down because he acted like a servant in everything he did and not like someone who was entitled or more powerful, which the, the world still is obsessed with, but certainly the world, the Greco-Roman world, and even the Jewish world of Jesus' time was obsessed with who had the most power. And the people with the most power used it against the people with the least power. The world's still kind of like that today, isn't it? But Jesus said, no. I have the most power. Jesus had the most power. Jesus is God. God has the most power. Therefore, Jesus has the most power but he used it to serve. Your example is one of the greatest tools in your fishing tackle box. 
It is one of the greatest tools you have. A lot of people are leaving the church or don't. We don't have people leaving the church so much as two or three generations who've never been to church. And a lot of people are disenfranchised with church or don't want to come to church because all they hear about is Christians saying one thing and doing another thing. Pretty much every preacher or politician who seems to go and make some rants about this or that gets found out doing the exact same thing that they are talking about within the first few months that they say that. And that makes us hypocrites. That makes us not truthful. doesn't set a very good example. And unfortunately, whether we like it or not, chicken establishments and duck-calling gentlemen speak for us, and we let that happen. And they are not theological authorities on church or Christ or anything else. Good guys, maybe. Great chicken, certainly. But... Not the church. And so we need to be involved in people's life and show them what an example of service is, what an example of a Christian life is. It's not perfect. And yes, we are hypocrites a lot of times. We have lots of room for other hypocrites to come and be part of our community. Because that's what it is being about. It's about being people who are not perfect, who want to do something great. And we can do that. If you are excited and you are grounded, people will notice. And that combination doesn't happen a lot. We have a lot of evangelists who are really excited um, or even some who are really grounded. Um, But that combination, that gets people to notice. If you're a person of hope and joy, peace, love, other people will notice. That brings us to our kind of final point, kind of practice of finding being grounded in our finding. And that brings us to a scripture from Matthew 17. When they came to the crowd, a man met met Jesus. He knelt before him saying, Lord, show mercy to my son. He's epileptic and suffers terribly. For he often falls into fire or water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus answered, you faithless and crooked generation. Not everything Jesus said was particularly nice. How long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus spoke harshly to the demon. It came out of the child who was healed from that time on. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Why couldn't we throw out this demon? Jesus replied, Because you have little faith. I assure you that if you had faith the size of a mustard seed... You could say to that mountain, go from here to there, and it would go. There will be nothing that you cannot do. Now, the disciples' power fails in this story. They try to heal this young boy, and they fail. They try to uh, perform a miracle, which they do throughout Scripture, but they failed here. Was it because they weren't charismatic enough? Was it because they didn't have the right theology? They didn't say the right words? Jesus says they lacked faith. Now I read that and I think that they forgot that the power wasn't them, it was with God. Think about it. Jesus commissioned the disciples and several other people to go out and to basically perform miracles, to heal 
to exercise demons, to do some pretty cool things. I don't know about you, but after a couple healings, I might feel pretty pumped up, pretty excited, and think, hey, I'm doing some pretty great stuff. I'm healing the sick. I'm exercising demons. Wouldn't that be fun? A little scary, but also a little fun. Right? It would be, wouldn't it? You've seen The Exorcist. It's scary stuff. Nobody's seen The Exorcist? Really? Go see it. It's terrifying. Go rent that one. Scare the crap out of you. You'll come to church. Believe me, for the next few weeks. Regularly, you won't miss it. I think the disciples forgot that it wasn't what they were doing, that it was what God was doing. Jesus reminded them, you have to have faith that this isn't your stuff, this is God's stuff. That God is giving you the power to do these great things. And if you truly believe that, you could do even greater things. But when you rely on yourself, you will fail. When you rely on your pride, you will fail. Ministry is about God. It's about furthering God's reign and God's kingdom. Finding is not about your charisma. It's not about how knowledgeable you are about the gospel. It's not about how much of the Bible you've had memorized, although those things are great and they help. It's not about whether you're an extrovert or an introvert or whether you're really great at conversation or not. Finding is about God and you partnering to do some great work. It's about God doing great things with you. That means God is present when you're finding, and God is already there when you're in relationship with other people. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be nervous. You don't have to be concerned about your own power because God is already there waiting to do this work with you. Early on in my ministry, I... I would get nervous because I would get called as a young person, uh, younger person, I guess. I would get called into uh, random situations. You know, I, I would get called um, in the hospital and, and say, you need to come, um, there, there's a situation. Or um, I, I did some work with the fire department, and so we get called into random things, and, and you just never knew what was going to happen. And, and I would get really nervous and say, what's going to happen? Uh, where am I going? And, and, and dealing with uh, children who had died or major accidents or um, suicides and, and terrible things, uh, uh, worse things than I just talked about. So I was a little nervous. I never knew what to say or what to do. And until one day someone reminded me that it really didn't matter because God was already there. God was already in the hospital room. God was already in that house. God was already in the midst of that fire or that tragedy or that car accident. God was already there. So I was going to partner with God in the ministry God was calling me to do. And what better partner to have than the person who is the most powerful person if we're talking about power. God is there before you open the door. God is there before you say hello. God is there before you make the first contact. God is there before you open your mouth if you let God be there. So you can go about finding uh, however you feel called. Some people are going to want to knock on doors. Some people are going to use your relationships you already have. Some people are going to do great things that I can't even imagine. But I encourage you to bring excitement to it, like we talked about last week, but also be grounded. Finding is about offering people something here and now, and something then, and yet to be. 
But remember, Jesus approached people in ways that they could relate to, with words that they could understand. He set the example by living the example. And most of all, he remembered that it was God's kingdom, God's work. And no matter what, God was always with him. Amen. I don't think I killed enough time for Penny. It's okay, she'll forgive me. We're going to be talking about some um, church-wide ways that we're going to go do finding this year, um, getting out into our, our uh, neighborhood right around us, um, doing some door knocking. I know that sounds terrifying, right? Um, but not, you know, I'm not, we're not asking people to knock on doors and ask people if they know Jesus Christ and all that kind of stuff, unless you really want to do that, then that would be fine. <clears throat> but more so to let people know that we're here and what we're doing and the kind of things that we have kind of on the docket. That's going to include some um, events happening here in our community, some uh, events happening at the local parks right here around Hilltop, uh, like a cookout or ice cream, some other things that we have planned. So uh, be, um, you know, be interested in that, be involved in that. If you want to uh, partner with that in any way, we have our planning team meetings for kind of the events of the year. Um, our next one will be the third Monday. Well, not this Monday, but the next Monday, which is a day of the week that I, I don't really know because uh, I don't have my calendar in front of me. But not this Monday, but next Monday at 7 o'clock here is the planning team where we talk about that uh, and talk about maybe how we're going to organize that and what we're going to do so that really everybody knows what we're up to here uh, in our community and we can uh, build relationships and go find some people who might need to hear uh, God's story and God's message of new life um, Anybody know any jokes? I'm trying to give Penny a couple more seconds. You're welcome. Um, every, everybody's okay? Okay. Know how that is. Well, let's have a word of prayer as we transition to our forwarding time. Creator God. When everything first began, water was a symbol of refreshment, of washing away, of renewal. Through the waters of creation, you brought forth abundant life. Through the water of our baptism, we were brought into new life with Jesus Christ. Help us dedicate our lives to you, to offer our very best to you, to be of service to you by serving one another. We remember those people in our hearts, those who are ill, those who need your love, those who are lost and alone, those who are near and dear to us. We ask that you also lift up each of us as people in need of your grace. Our world is in the midst of strife, war, oppression, famine, hunger, alienation, and situations in which we have abused the world and one another. Heal us. Heal our world, Lord. Renew us with your life-giving waters. Reaffirm our baptisms as your children. Let us go forth to be a people of peace and mercy. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.